love the silent hours of the night. That's when my thoughts come to life. Those are the late night conversations. I don't mind losing sleep over. Join me on the late nights with your Tammy. Welcome to the Late Nights with Just Jami. And with me here is a psychotherapist that has been in practice for over 30 years. With me here is Phyllis Levitt. And uh, she wrote a book recently about um, America in therapy. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Hi, Phyllis. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much. I'm doing well. And um, thank you for having me. It's good to have you on the show today. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you got into psychotherapy? Yeah, I um, pretty much, um, I think the way a lot of people get into their profession, which is it has a personal interest. Um, I went to therapy myself when I was in my mid-30s, um, and it was kind of new on the scene at that time where I lived. People weren't talking about psychotherapy much before that, um, but it. A lot of the people that I knew suddenly were interested in therapy and I went to therapy and um, it really changed my life. It was a big opening in understanding a lot of things about myself that I had not been able to understand before mm. and particularly a lot of the things that I was having difficulty with in my life. Mm. Oh, wow. So yeah. um, some people really can't um, differentiate um, between uh, these two these two um, things. Some people can't differentiate between what um, psychotherapy is and what counseling is. What is the difference between psychotherapy and counseling? I don't know that it's. I don't know that it is different. Like my degree is is a master's in counseling and is in psychology and counseling. Oh. And I think. I mean, there may be other forms of counseling that are not specifically like psychotherapy. Yeah. You know, that might be just like short-term interventions on particular issues to help people with but psychotherapy really involves um really kind of more digging deep into what the origins of the distress are or what are the formative experiences we've had that that were good but also the focus like when you go to a doctor you're not focusing on the things in your body yeah, that are you're focused well. on the courses <laughs> right so you're focusing on some of the messages you received that were negative yeah. about self um traumas that you've had three guys as well yeah mm. so you kind of look deeply into that and then you work with kind of undoing most most of us have a pattern that we established early in life yeah which is we came to believe certain things and the more difficult our experiences are usually the more negative things we came to believe about ourselves and other people yes. and out of that grows a whole set of coping mechanisms mm -hmm. so i learned to feel like i wasn't wanted by withdrawing or i became a people pleaser or i became a workaholic um, and so then there's this whole configuration that gets stuck and that doesn't work in adulthood mm. and very well and sometimes causes great pain in adulthood if it led to rage or addiction or self-depression. Yes, depression, anxiety. And so that's what brings people to therapy. Like we're, we're trying to undo that knot and because the negative things that people took on about themselves aren't true. Yeah. They feel true. 
right? They feel true. Um, and so good therapy really helps people begin to access who they really are underneath whatever happened to them. And under underneath whatever happened to any of us is an innocent newborn baby who came mm. into looking for love right yes yes <laughs> yes oh, okay Phyllis so let's talk about your book um American therapy and, yeah. um in your opinion what are some of the root causes of America's need for therapy are there yeah. like particular historical um social or um cultural factors that have contributed to this situation yeah and I think the reason why I wrote the book yeah. Um, because what I saw from working with families and individuals and children and couples is that the same dynamics that we have in our originating families um, are being multiplied and proliferated in our larger groupings, in businesses, in social communities, in schools, in government, yeah. in large institutions. So a healthy family uh, you know it just became really like clear to me like how come we're not talking about this on you know on a broad basis mm -hmm. that a healthy family looks out for all of its family members yeah. we don't starve one child and or you know send one to college and not allow the other one to go to school or take one to the doctor and not the other you know we, we don't mm -hmm. do that in a healthy Look family for each other Exactly. And that the extent and, and nobody does it perfectly. You know, we all have things to learn and flaws and wounds that we're trying to heal that that play out. But in a healthy family, even with that, even with wounds or problems or faulty conditioning, the members try to heal what isn't working. Yes. Yeah. So people can say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled like that. Or I'm going to get help because I'm drinking too much. You know, so there's all there's all levels of, of good health. Um, and to the extent that people don't get conditioned by a good family dynamic, they're more prone to either become very passive and controllable because they were controlled and there yeah, was nothing about it. Younger. Right? Yeah. Or they tend to identify with the most aggressive people in their family and become like the aggressors. Mm. And my fear for the family of America, and it's a real fear, is that we are not addressing abuse as a, as a national priority on the family level, and we're not addressing it at all on the national level. At all. Um, and so we're producing, actually producing more and more children who grow up without the skills to navigate adult life in a constructive way. And they're either self-harming or they're harming others, or they're easily conscripted into um, drugs or something. Yep, drugs mm. or supporting people who are like the bullies because that mm. makes them feel powerful. Mm. And, and, you know, and so I talk about in my book, I talk about all the dynamics that I have seen over the years in, in dysfunctional, abusive and neglectful families, because I'm really, I really want to point out that this is too much of what's going on on a national level mm. and on the level of large institutions. You know, an individual abuser in a family or a dysfunctional parent can hurt, you know, a couple of kids and there's yeah. about a dysfun dysfunctional government can hurt millions of people and actually is hurting millions of people and with no who have no resource to 
to get help or um, find a different condition. You know, most, I would say probably 99% of the people in our country, we can't just move away. Yeah. We have to move away to deal. Deal with it, yeah. Right. So I'm really, my book, the purpose of my book is twofold. The purpose of my book is number one, to really illustrate that some of these abuse dynamics are playing out on a very large scale, hurting millions of people mm. with terrible results if we don't stop this cycle. Mm. Terrible results. And we see it, you know, we see it every day in the mass shootings. There didn't used to be a mass shooting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is frightening. This, this should be like a, a huge alarm and a wake-up call that our mental health as a country is deteriorating and we need help. And so I framed it as America in therapy because as I've pointed out, you know, many of these different dynamics that escalate when abuse and neglect are not stopped, in the field of psychology and psychotherapy, we know a lot about what people need to break this cycle of abuse. Mm. Um, and I want to see my hope, my dream, my goal for America and really for the world, um, but we'll start here, is, <laughs> is that we start to employ what we know from yes. the world of psychology and psychotherapy mm. to heal ourselves mm. so that we stop attacking one another. We stop. Others. Yeah. All, because that's that's what abusers do. They target certain people and then they conscript everybody else into targeting them too. Yeah. And they put us at war with each other instead of realizing that um, that's something that an abusive power does. Yeah. Yes. No people are intrinsically bad. They're just not. Hmm. Hmm. So um, what, are the, what are the signs or symptoms that suggest that people may be struggling and they could benefit from therapy. Yeah, and I think they're the same signs that we see rampant in our country. Mm. Um, you know, some of the most obvious ones are gun violence, drug abuse, selling drugs, sex trafficking, um, scamming, all of the, you know, all mm. of the lies and, you know, stealing from other people, mm. um, rape, assault, you know, those are the big ones, the mass murders. These are the big symptoms. And, and, and I will go down to the, to the smaller level of the individual in a minute, but I just want to say this because I think this is a really important thing that I've tried to share really powerfully in my book. And that is that our symptoms are not signs that we're bad people. Mm. Symptoms are a call for help. Somebody who's overdosing on drugs is having a miserable, painful life, and their drug use is a call for help, even if they don't know it, and even if they act like they don't want help. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. The mass murders. Cry for help. Mm. Yeah, the cry for help, and the mass murders in this country are the same thing. They're the cry, a cry for help from the people who are committing them. You know, how much pain and rage could I even imagine it would take for me to want to shoot an innocent child? Hmm. I can't imagine that. But we have to know that this is a symptom of something very large that's not working in our families and not working in our country. And many of the things that are not working in our country are, di are directly affecting our families. So when people live in poverty and they can't get out of it, or they're, they're always subject to some kind of racial or sexual or religious discrimination, um, and they can't leave that, what do they do with all that pain and rage? Hmm. 
either turn it in or they turn it out. Yeah. And so whether it's coming from a family level or the national level, and to me, they're kind of merged at this point. Um, you know, you can't really separate them out. Just like I can't separate they're intertwined. Mm. Sorry. I said they are intertwined. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't separate them. And they're more and more intertwined, especially yeah. with the influence of social media. Mm. Because we, we get information overload, but we don't even know if what we're getting is true. You know, there's just so much. That's where so much, the, yeah, there's so much to, to take in. Absolutely. And we don't, you know, and so the social media, I mean, and, 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 you know, I think, I think media in general is a blessing and can be like what you're doing, like yeah. what podcasters are doing, what people who are, you know, showing what people do, who is, that is helpful, you know, um, that's a wonderful influence of social media or where we see new scientific breakthroughs or, you know, advances in education or, a good deeds, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, and for, and like for you, I really want to say, like, I think podcasting is an amazing gift that's possible through media because you get to hear so many different voices. Yeah. And there's so much information available that doesn't have to go through the news channels. Yeah. So I think that's really good. But I think our young people are really influenced by a lot of what's out there that's not filtered for its accuracy or whether it's yeah. even connected. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so, um, repeat for me your original question. <laughs> um, I'll just go to the next one actually, okay. because okay. you already answered that. Um, how Great. might, um, therapy help America as a whole to heal yeah. and to move forward? Yeah. Yeah. And that, so, so that's the second part of my book. The first mm -hmm. part is sort of the diagnosis. This mm -hmm. is what we're suffering from. These are some of the effects. These are the symptoms. These, and, and the whole point of looking at that, let me say, is not to point fingers. Mm -hmm. It's really not about blame. It's about healing. It's about repairing our human relations, not blaming and punishing other people. And certainly, you know, in the world that we live in today that can be so terribly unsafe, there are people we don't know how to treat and they do need to be restrained. They need, need to be separated from our society. Yes. Even so, even so, every one of those people started out as an innocent baby, just like you and me, and something happened to them. And many things happened to many people that set them on a course of being violent and dangerous. And, and, and so the way I say it is inside every perpetrator is a victim of some kind. Mm -hmm. Even if we can't, even if we have to restrain them because they're dangerous, they're dangerous. Yeah. We have to know that in there, there's a person who got hurt. And if we can treat them, even in an incarcerated setting, let's do it because people leave incarcerated settings and mm -hmm. they, when they leave, but that's, you know, that's one piece of a big puzzle. So what I try to do in the second half of my book is illustrate some of the healing principles of the best therapy that I believe, and I don't think I'm alone, and I don't think this is like pie in the sky, that we could apply to our country. Um, but And there are reasons why we don't. 
So this, the, the elements of healing and repair of human relations and healing the wounds that drive us to antisocial or non-functional behaviors, it's not rocket science. These are yeah. not secrets. I'm not, I don't write anything in my book that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily as a nation have the will to apply these things. You know, everybody just says their own opinions and they are not practicing what they preach. So a lot of that mm-hmm. and a lot of people are invested in keeping the divisiveness going. It's profitable or it keeps them from looking at themselves and the changes mm-hmm. that they have to make. You know, so what I, one of the things I would say and then I'll I'll kind of give you a little outline of some of the things that the best therapy I think holds that we could employ as a nation. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll just jump to that and then we can come back if we need to. So okay. so basically the whole point of good therapy is repair. Mm. I heal my broken heart. I learn better coping mechanisms. I come to understand that even if I was called fat and ugly as a kid or stupid or you don't belong here or whatever, that those things are not true. And I learn through different therapeutic processes, but also through working with a person. And I can't emphasize this enough. The role of the therapist is just as important as any other professional role, if not more, because you have to do that work with someone who actually cares better, right? Yes. It's not just like, you know, you put you know, you say a few words and the person talks about X, Y, or Z, there's an emotional connection that needs to happen. Our wounds, our deepest wounds as people, and I have never seen this not to be true, are from other people, Mm. from not being loved, from not being valued, from not being cared for, from not being taken care of. Or being ignored. Totally being ignored, ostracized. Um, and not being taught nonviolent conflict resolution skills, not being taught that we can work it out without violence to ourselves or each other. And so th- if our wounds come from other people, they need to be healed with other people. And so that a therapist has a very particular role of really caring about the outcome for their for their client or the person they're working with. And of course, offers the skills that they learned um, in the in whatever their training is. But one of the things I want to emphasize, and you have to like, I'm a runaway train sometimes when I'm talking because <laughs> I have much to say. But um, one of the things I try to emphasize in my book is that you don't have to be a therapist. Yeah. No, and and that would be unrealistic. We can all care for each other better. We can all listen deeper. We can all have more empathy. We can all learn how to um, stay at the table and try to resolve conflict without beating each other up or calling each other mm. names. Yeah. You know, walking out or we you can know, all I'll learn stop. to be better. The whole world. So those are those are some of the skills. I'll start there. That that are part of the best therapy. That. You know, it starts with care. Mm-hmm. I care about the outcome from you. You come to see me because you know, hopefully you know, by the time you're done talking to me for an hour, that I actually want something good to happen for you. I want you, I want healing for you. And mm-hmm. I'll hang in there with you as long as it takes for you to come out from the other side of where you are. Mm-hmm. There's trust building. Think about that for our country. 
What if we were focused on building trust with each other, making it safe for each other to talk and be heard? Hmm. And it would be, what if we were role modeling that in Congress? I say this all the time because, you know, what happens in Congress is all over the news every day how people talk terribly about each other and accuse each other of horrible things and right in their faces right in their faces with no <laughs> no effort to actually yeah to amend us. anything <laughs> right so what if that was the role model our children were seeing mm. and alone the adults um but what if our children were growing up in a country where there was even trained facilitation in congress to bring differing parties together and help them hear different points of view with the goal of working it out for the sake of the american family the american people because we don't pro we don't survive well just like a child doesn't do well in a family where the parents are fighting all the time yes we as citizens don't do well in a country where our leaders are fighting all the time and at each other's throats mm. it's a horrible environment to grow the it's human toxic. spirit and the human heart mm. it's toxic yeah absolutely and you know i want to give you a chance to chime in because i really do have so much to say and i can't fit it all in the time we have anyway. you know um, I, I wanted to say that um i'm in the social care industry that's where i work and um we have this um um uh, will i call it we have this um phrase where we call it um the person-centered care so when mm -hmm. everybody have person-centered care we we are more compassionate we are more loving and we listen more than uh, we should listen you know and uh people change in that form because you are changing yourself first you're you're more compassionate towards others and that way others are compassionate towards you so that's that's the way to heal that's the way to heal so i'm like i think that's from us as individuals so yes yes and then then the family starts from us as individuals first what what are what are the the elements of person centered care? I've never heard that that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because it's the person centered care. Um, we have um six principles under care. So there's um care, there's compassion, there's and I've said compassion, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's all about putting that person in the center of your care, like in the That's center right. of your mind, and choosing them first, treating them like you want to be treated. So if, That's it. Yeah, so if That's everybody it. if everybody treats each other like they want to be treated, I don't think there will be like mass shootings or right. yeah, there wouldn't be. Yeah, or there'll be people insulting others or domestic violence or or all that. Uh, so I, I feel like the change begins with us. Right. Uh, once we change ourselves, then we can change the family and also change the country. Those are that's that's beautiful and I love that that's um those are the principles of what you're doing. They're very similar to what um, some of the principles of psych of the best psychotherapy and healing are. And I would just, I would add, I wouldn't take away anything that you said because they're all essential. And I would just add an emphasis on um, taking personal responsibility. Are hmm. the role models of our country are are pretty solidly pointing fingers at other people and blaming other people and keeping the focus on how bad other people are or how 
you know, sending hatred toward other people. And in the best healing work, we take responsibility for ourselves. What am I doing? Am I contributing to this conflict? How could I talk differently that would have you feel more safe, more open, more understood? Um, if I've hurt you, could I say I'm sorry? Could I actually work to change my behavior? Um, could I make amends to you if I've if I've hurt you? And see, the, so these are things um, that we need to do as a country. We've hurt, we as a country have hurt many, many, many millions of people. Yeah. How are we going to heal if we can't take responsibility for that? Yeah. We know that that's important for us as individuals. And and you probably see this in your work that what I have found is that when people are able to work with healing the wounds that happen to them, they automatically become kinder to other people. Yes. Want to make amends. You don't mm -hmm. even have to tell them to do it. Mm -hmm. They you do it willingly. Right, because then because their heart is opened and they, it doesn't feel so threatening to say, "Ooh, I really hurt your feelings when I said blah blah," or "I should never have walked out when you know whatever." Because because our heart is open and it's easier to take responsibility when you're not defending. Mm. So those are these are big things that any of this could be applied to our country and. Um, and I'm not the only person who has said this, but I really believe that in our government, we need to have a department of psychology. We need to have a department of peace. We need to have these things part of our institutions that could actually take us back from the ledge of so much danger and violence mm. that we're right and now. And youth, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm a big advocate for applying all these principles. And, you know, some of the other principles are that work. And I love your word commitment, because that that that's really in some ways the heart of it, because nobody's going to do this hard work unless they're committed. People give up. They feel like it's too much work. Um, they just lapse into blaming the other person They're They go back into their old wounding and their negative beliefs. But with commitment, you work through those places where yeah, you get stuck. because that's what you have to do. Mm. Have to do that. Yeah. And I see that for our country. What would it take for us to be committed to actually heal the way we treat one another? And you said it exactly the way I say it, which is what would what would it take for us to actually treat other people the way we would want to be treated? So I I see what's going on in our country, and I say this a lot. It's really not, these are really not political ideo ideological issues. They look like that because we've been told they're ideological issues, but really these are mental health issues mm. because mental, mentally healthy people don't behave this way. They don't. They don't. Mm -hmm. So it's really a mental health crisis that we're facing in our country. And I think it needs to be healed with the best tools uh, that we have to offer from the world of psychotherapy and psychology. That would be an amazing beginning. There's, you know, certainly that we yeah. need people who work with environmental <laughs> issues and you know medicine and all of that. But I think the mental health piece is it's it's getting a little bit more press, but it's it's not anywhere near center stage the way it needs to be from my point of view. So um, before yeah. you well, well, before you end the show, before we end the show, actually, we just have 10 minutes uh, before we end the show. 
Are there any specific initiatives or programs that you believe could help America as a society to heal and grow? Um, there's no, I don't know. I, I know there are programs out there already. There are lots of social justice programs out yeah. there, prison reforms out there. There are lots of programs that are helping end bullying in the school system. Um, which is a very important thing because I can tell you from my work with people over so many years, over 30 years, how many people as adults were bullied as children mm. and it scarred their life. It scarred their life, bullied by other students and sometimes bullied by teachers. Um, so yes, that all of those, any kind of social action program, I mean, you know, we, you've probably heard of more than I have, but mm -hmm. you know, of the ones where someone who is, you know, goes into an inner city and teaches people how to make rooftop gardens and grow their own food, <laughs> and, or you know, um, gosh, there's just so many different programs I read yeah. about people who volunteer to go into prisons and help. Uh, oh, and and have you ever heard of this? Is a, a a wonderful one that I think deserves a lot of support and financial support. It's called Homeboy Industries. Have you ever heard of them? Hmm, I think once or twice, but I really don't know what they do. Well, it's an amazing organization. It was started by Father uh, Boyle, Greg Boyle, mm. and he was a priest who began helping gang members in inner city LA. Wow. And he created this whole program where he offered, you know, he created jobs and training and um, yeah, and and he yeah, has just really advocating them. Mm. Yep, and and it's a community of love, and maybe mm. that's the thing that I really want to say because again, I talk about this in the second half of my book when I when I talk about what what heals. Um, the most important thing we can do for each other is love one another and care for one another, because that's the greatest healing of the greatest wound, which was a lack of love or an injury to love or a loss of love um, and all the things that go along with that. And um, and that's what he created. He cre created, and it still exists, a community of love. And inside that, of course, there's rules and there's responsibilities and there's um, obligations and expectations, but there's also brotherhood and sisterhood. Mm, which is very important. Mm. Yeah. She's yeah. very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to say thank you for coming on the show, Phyllis. Um, before thank we you. end the show, I would like you to sell yourself. Uh, okay. <laughs> tell us where we can find you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a website, www.phyllislevitt.com, which is going to be updated soon, but it's it's presently there. And okay. anyone who would like to contact me, there's a place you can do that or just sign in and get updates on when my book will be released. Um, so it's not released yet, but it's called okay. American Therapy. Is it going and, to be on Amazon? Um, yes, it will be. Um, okay. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I have a lot of podcast videos and interviews on YouTube. I'm on LinkedIn. I think I'm on TikTok, <laughs> Instagram, the whole thing. Oh, you know, wow. That's good. Does, right? yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, thank you so much, um, Phyllis, for being on the show today. It's quite a privilege. Thank you all for listening. Till we meet again, it's your girl, Justami. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in. I hope you learned something from today's episode. Don't forget to join me on the next episode of your favorite show, The Late Nights with Just Tammy.